0: So, uh, last week what we focused on was on worship. What is worship? And we gave a very, I think a very simple definition. It's uh, declaring the worth of God. That's what we come to worship. Just to declare His praise, declare His worthiness. And then we saw how, um, based on three Old Testament sacrifices, you have the guilt offering... The whole whole burnt offering and the peace offering. That's been fulfilled in Christ, who is our sacrifice. And now you see that the guilt offering comes in that part of the service where we said, God cleanses us. That's our confession, our confession of sin. Right? Christ having paid our sin on the cross, we now confess our sin. And then we looked at uh, the whole burnt offering. The whole burnt offering was, you know, consecrating yourself to the Lord, the entire animal was burnt. Uh, offering a soothing aroma to the Lord. Now, because of what Christ has done, having offered the final sacrifice, we also consecrate ourselves to the Lord. And in that consecration, he gives us his word, and we also sing in response. A part of that is also the offering, which is really interesting, as we'll see today. And then the uh, the peace offering, that's the communion uh, we have that once a month. So after the consecration, there's a communion. We eat with God. We have fellowship in, in a very intimate way. And then, of course, you have the first C, the call to worship, and the end of worship, the commission being sent out. So you have the five Cs. That's just a brief summary of what we talked about last week. And then we had one little part to talk about yet, and that was the offering. It's kind, of, it's kind of a strange thing, the offering in the midst of a service. Why do we have offerings and worship. And that's what we'd like to focus on today. And with that in mind, I'd like to turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. It's a New Testament passage. And we read earlier in our call to worship, come with an offering to the Lord, right? It's, it's sandwiched in between giving praise and ascribing glory to Him. And in the midst of that, come with an offering. So it's a very important uh, principle in worship. And 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, and we'll look at verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. But our text, our focus will be verse 2 only. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Paul says here, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gifts to Jerusalem. But if it is, if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. So, Verse 2, I'll read that once again, because that'll be our our text, our focus this morning. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there may be no collections when they come. So, that's our uh, focus this morning. Why why offerings in worship? You know, I remember as young children, our parents would give us money each Sunday so that we could with our hand put it into the offering plate. We have an offering bag, but we had the offering plate. And that was always in the context of of worship. I never thought about it much at that time. It just we just did it every Sunday. We had a little bit of money that our parents gave to us. And that was throughout the church. And we would put it in the offering plate during worship. Interesting thing is, it wasn't our money. It wasn't my money. But it was their money. It was the money that was belonging to my parents. Or our parents. And yet they gave it to us to put into the offering plate. And it was sometimes later I began to understand the reasons why they were doing this. Actually, I'm thinking of two reasons why they did this. At the time, I never even really thought about it until it was explained later, and then I understood. The first reason was our parents wanted to teach us that the offering is an act of worship. It's an act of ascribing worth to the Lord. That's what it is all about, ascribing worth to the Lord. Everything that we have, everything that you could say we own, if we could put it that way, belongs to the Lord. Ourselves, everything we possess, the Lord is the, the ultimate owner. Or maybe you could say it this way. Everything that we have, we are stewards. Okay, We are stewards of everything that He has given to us. It all, it's all His. It all belongs to Him. But we're simply stewards of, of all the gifts, you know, including the material gifts that He has given us. And our offerings and worship show that, that we believe that. And our offerings and worship show that we dedicate ourselves, we consecrate ourselves, and all that we have in Thanksgiving to Him. Um, think of it this way. Sometimes I think in terms of an iceberg. They say that the, the top part of the iceberg that you see above the water is about one tenth. Or list a little portion, but everything else is underneath. But that little portion of the iceberg represents, you could say, everything that belongs to it, right? In the same way, the offering represents everything that we own, and we ascribe worth and glory and praise to the God who owns all things and who owns us in Jesus Christ. That was one reason, right? It was a way of teaching us. The other one was the example. It was an example to us. When we began to work and make money, then our parents instructed us, now, you're working, you're making some money, now you lay aside a certain portion each week, a certain portion of the money that you make, and you put it in the offering plate. Well, that was new to us all of a sudden, it began to cost something. It, it affected us. And then we had big discussions. You know, how much should we put in? All of those kinds of questions, right? But the example of the early years encouraged us to continue, to continue to honor the Lord and worship in the way that is commanded in the scriptures. One thing our parents could not give us And the only thing that God can give us is a willing and generous heart. That's the only thing our parents can do for us. They could pray. You pray for the faith of our children. They could could pray for their hearts that they would also be willing and generous hearts. That practice, by the way, goes all the way back to 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 which became very much of a custom, a practice, you could say, in the churches. Our offerings, you could say, are, you could say, a tangible or a practical way of showing that, yes, Lord, we belong to you. And here is the first of all the best that we own, really, that you own, and we give it back to you. And so what we see here in verse 2 this morning, we're going to see, first of all, yeah, it comes as a command, a command to lay aside an offering. The command to lay aside an offering. And then you see in verse, another thing in verse 2, the care in laying aside for an offering. So the command and the great care with, with which we are called to do that. Let's read verse 2 again. Paul says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper. Now, what prompts Paul to give this command? What is it? Well, it's the needy situation that arose in Jerusalem. Because if you look at verse 1, it concerns the collection for the saints. Where? Which saints? As you know from verse 3, He's referring to the saints who were in Jerusalem, the Christian congregation. They were very, very poor. Romans 15 talks about that. Romans 15, 26, 27. The saints in Jerusalem, the believers, the congregation, the Christian congregation, were very, very poor. And part of the reason for that is because of the Jewish persecution. The Jews were persecuting the fellow, or sorry, the the believers uh, in that city. And so Paul then instructs, not only to the church of Corinth, but also all the churches of Asia Minor, the churches in Galatia. He says, you give something to the church in Jerusalem. You see in verse 1, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. And now in verse 2, what the Apostle Paul does, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, so it's not his words, but it's God's word through him, he moves from the need, the practical need that was around him, to the general principle, to the general principle of offerings that are given on the first day of the week. Human need should not be the primary reason, the primary drive for why we should give. No doubt there is a, that is a reason, but the primary reason is our love for the Lord. Remember last week we heard worship is what? Ascribing worth. He is worthy of it all. That's what motivates us. When are God's people to lay something aside? It's very interesting. Ascribing worth to the Lord and offerings. And it's very interesting that Paul begins by saying, When? Okay, you he say it's here, on the first day of the week. What is that first day of the week? Well, it probably refers to the Sunday because Christians already were were worshipping the Lord on this day, Sunday. Christ himself arose on the first day of the week. That was a Sunday. Uh, You recall in John chapter 20 when Jesus met his disciples, what day did he meet them on? You see in John 20 verse 19, again in John 20 verse 26, it says he met them on the first day. It's a, it's a special day. It's the Lord's day. John in Revelation verse 10. Talks about seeing the Lord. The vision. On the Lord's day. Acts chapter 20. You see there that it was a practice of Christians to meet on the first day. Acts 20 verse 1. When was the Holy Spirit poured on upon the church? On the first day. The first day of the week. But Paul does not mention worship here. It likely refers to the fact that that was the time when the congregation was coming together to worship. The first day of the week. And God lays aside one day in seven to dedicate to Him. Right? The principle of six plus one. Six days of work, and we offer ourselves, we dedicate ourselves our entire work week over to the Lord on that day that he has set aside officially for him. And in doing so, Paul says, let each one of you lay something aside. It's almost kind of like you have the six, and then you have the one, and then you have the offering. You can have the one day, the one hour, and then the one offering, kind of like the pyramid. Right? It it's, uh, really shows, that's not to say the offering is the center of worship, but it shows that this is one of the ways that we really show our dedication, our consecration to the Lord. Two things about this first part of verse 2. Okay, he says, let each one of you lay something aside. That word, lay something aside. It's interesting that in the original it's in the imperative, which means it comes as a form of a command. So it's not a suggestion. It's not an option for God's people. It's very strong in the original. Lay something aside. And it's interesting too that it's in a sense where, a tense where it's continuous. So the sense of every Sunday again, every first day of the week again, lay something aside. Um, Not the sense of once in a while, but continuously set something aside. The first day of the week. So in this appeal, the Lord, through the Apostle Paul, says, Let each one of you lay something aside. Interesting. So special is each member, is each believer to the Lord. that He addresses each and every member. And not everyone has the same wealth. Some have very, very little. Some have a lot. But you know what? The Lord Loves the praises of his people. He wants to see the the dedication, the, the ascription of praise from the very bottom of their hearts, no matter how little or how much we may have. Because, you know, every believer belongs to the Lord. And because every believer belongs to the Lord, everything that he has Belongs to the Lord. You know, we can think or use the word obligation here. We shouldn't only think obligation, but think of privilege. What a privilege that you have this kind of relationship with the king of the universe. That he accepts your offering and he loves the offerings of his people. But you notice here two things about this command. Is it because God needs our offerings? He doesn't need our offerings. It's not because God needs them. If you look at Psalm 50 verse 12, God makes abundantly clear. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world is mine and all is fullness. So it's not that God needs some extra money to go to the grocery store. That's not why we offer. He doesn't need it. We don't need to satisfy him like the people from other religions do with their offerings. You see them feeding the gods. You see them bringing the rice to the altar, the bags of rice, the bags of flour, and the oranges, and they feed their gods. That's not the kind of god we have. Paul says in Acts 17, he says it this way, he's talking to the Athenians who are worshipping other gods, and he says, He's not worshipped with man's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to life, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. No, it's not because God needs it. He doesn't need anything from us. We're the one that needs him. So why is it that, that he wants an offering? Again, it's because in laying aside an offering... God wants us to declare his worth. That's what it's about. Ultimately, certainly we provide for needs of people, but ultimately it's about him. Ascribing worth to him. If you look at Psalm 96 for a minute. Psalm 96. Again, we open up with that. It's very interesting how that is sandwiched in the middle of Psalm 96. He says, give to the Lord... Oh, families of the peoples, give to the Lord glory and strength. So it's just offering ourselves to him in song and hearing his word and praying and so on. And he says, give to the Lord the glory due his name. How do we do that? One of the ways we do that in worship is bring an offering. Come into his courts. And then it calls up by saying, oh, worship the Lord and the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Wow you know we offer why because god made the greatest offering ever ever made and that he is that he offered his only begotten son as the perfect sacrifice on the cross so that we could forever be right with god that in him he accepts us as his children there's no greater offering in the world, how shall we respond to that? Of course in worship, but tangibly too in our offerings. We respond to God's forgiveness in a tangible way, in a very practical way with our giving. In other words, we bring the first of our increase to Him. The first of our increase. God doesn't want Leftovers. He doesn't want our leftovers. We should not give him whatever is left over and say, well, here, God, here's the rest. No, no. He deserves our firsts. Wow. The rest that we don't share, the rest that we don't give, we should also remember that that also belongs to him. It all belongs to the Lord. We use it in service to him, our life, our everything, right? It belongs to him. That's what it means, really, to be a Christian, (laughs) right? We belong to the Lord in everything, including our possessions. Think of Cain and Abel, two sons of Christian parents, Adam and Eve, both gave offerings. Abel and his offering, we read that God accepted. God accepted Abel and his offering. But notice what he says about Cain. He did not accept Cain or his offering. Why? Because Cain did not come to him with a true heart. Right? The offering, certainly Cain brought an offering, but Cain wasn't offering himself. He wasn't offering himself in thanksgiving to the Lord. And that's why he offered the second best. There was a difference between the two sons, Cain and Abel. Yeah, that's why the Apostle Paul says, he makes an appeal, lay aside an offering. But also, you know, the care in laying aside an offering. On the first day of the week, he says in verse 2, let each one of you lay something aside. But the question is, how much should you lay aside? We're not going to answer that. Because um, how much? The Lord gives us wisdom. He gives us His Word. But we're going to look at a few principles here, though. How much should we lay aside? Paul here does not mention a certain amount. You notice he doesn't say, he doesn't say this and this amount. Not at all. He does not mention a proportion proportion of one's income that one should offer, he leaves that up to the conscience of what one should offer. It's part of your relationship to the Lord. How are you going to magnify his worth? How's that going to show? He leaves that up to the conscience of each and every believer. He simply says, if you look at verse 2, storing up as he may prosper. Beautiful words. Storing up as he may prosper. You know how we spend our money? How much we spend? What we spend? You know what? The Lord gives us freedom. He gives us freedom to to enjoy the gifts that he uses, to invest it, just as long as we don't take away from him. Right? The first, the best. Storing up as one may prosper in the times of the old testament it's interesting in the times of the old testament god 's people were to give a tithe what is a tithe? This means one tenth of what God gave somebody that 's different for every people that's different for everybody right one tenth is different for one as it is for another right it 's going to be a different amount and we won 't get into whether one whether that should be a gross income or net income, that's hair splitting. That gets gets away from the whole point of it, ascribing worth to the Lord. We don't need to have fights about that. But they were to give the Levites one-tenth of their crops, one-tenth of their orchards, the apples, the fruits, and their flocks. You read that in Leviticus 27, 30 to 33. It's interesting that when they were not giving to the Lord, But when the Lord was getting second best, what does Malachi the prophet say in verses 8 through 10? He charges God's people with robbing him. You're robbing me. How, he says? By neglecting your tithes. By neglecting your offerings. And you know what happened? They missed out on the blessing of his kingdom. (laughs) Because they missed out on the storehouses and how... God multiplies, right, the riches of his kingdom and for the sake of his kingdom. And now in the New Testament, the New Testament here does not suggest that we should no longer tithe. In other words, perhaps we should continue to tithe. It doesn't say we shouldn't, right? Maybe the tithe, the principle of the tithe continues. It's a good, it's a good guide to go by. But the principle and practice of giving among God's people, though, goes deeper than the tide. It's bigger than the tide. It's richer than the tide. Now that Christ has come, uh, it's, we don't think in terms of only 10%. It could be 15%. Maybe there are times it could be a little less. By not mentioning a certain amount or proportion of one's income, Paul, you notice here, guards against two dangers. He doesn't say, therefore let everyone give 10%. No. Paul here says what he does. By storing up as one prospers, he says that here for two reasons, I believe. One is to guard against legalism. Ha! I did my duty. Right? That's not that's not becoming of our relationship with the Lord. And the other one is negligence. Oh, whatever. Right? I believe so. So those two dangers. Let's just look at those two dangers for a minute. I mean, the concept of 10% was a testimony from God's people that, yes, Lord, you own everything. That was always a scriptural principle throughout the Old Testament. But you know, over time, over time for Israel, it became not so much of a tithe, but a religious tax. As long as I do my duty... (laughs) And that's the way they started thinking, only my duty, I've done my part. It became merely form. It became merely duty. It was no longer an offering. It was no longer an offering from the heart. Jesus warns in Luke eleven forty two. 42, he says, woe to you Pharisees. I mean, these were the religious leaders. They were the givers. He says, for you tithe, but you pass by justice. And you pass by the love of God. They were not really generous in their hearts. They were just. Another check mark. Right? Very calculated kind of relationship with the Lord. And God was not pleased. God is not pleased with that kind of giving. The other is. Of course. Negligence. And that may express itself in different ways. Oh. Oh. There may be a thoughtlessness or maybe a carelessness or maybe not giving attention to this part of the service that the Lord wants us to. Or maybe it's just the fact that, hey, I never even really knew about this. There's that possibility as well. And that's why verse 2 says, storing up as he may prosper. Storing up as he may prosper. First, what that means is that we should be giving in proportion to the way One prospers. Everyone prospers differently. Some prosper very well, and the Lord blesses them. That's wonderful. Some prosper less. But the Lord has good intentions for that as well, too. A good purpose for all different levels where we're at. You think of the widow with the two mites. Two mites means like two pennies. Right? And Jesus says, as he was observing, there were many rich people giving thousands and thousands of dollars, and then this little widow with two mites pays her two mites, her two pennies. And what does Jesus say? In the sight of God, she gave more than all the other rich people because she kept back the least. In other words, from the proportion she had, she may have given 50-60%, whereas others may have given 5-10%. And yet, in proportion, she gave way more, even though it was just two pennies. It was her love for the Lord. So that's the first thing. We should, we should give in proportion to the way that the Lord prospers. But second of all, we give careful thought to our offerings. How much? How much should we give? Well, that's part of your relationship with the Lord. How are you going to ascribe worth to him? How am I going to ascribe worth to him? And maybe you look at your books and you say, I'm going to give some thought to this. That's what it means here, giving care. Giving some thought to it ahead of time. Lay some aside. The word here is storing up. right? Storing up or laying up during the week. Maybe on the dresser. Maybe on the cupboard. Maybe in the drawer of a dresser, just laying something up, storing up. We talk about storing up, right, for a rainy day. And I know in these times, you know, there's, uh, you could say, a lot of uncertainty, economic uncertainty, and with the war in Europe going on right now, you know, maybe wise just to store up a little extra cash in the house. Or maybe just a little extra food in the house. Probably a wise and good thing to do as we reflect even on this word storing up. But here the point of storing up is storing up throughout the week. Because the next celebration of the Lord's Day is coming. The festive day of rest, as our catechism says. A picture of the eternal fellowship that we have with God throughout all eternity to come. Here it applies to the offering. Laying the first of your increase aside on your tabletop, in your drawer, at your dresser. And maybe it's just a little bit. Maybe you don't have so much. Or maybe you have a lot, it's more. It should not be something done on impulse or last minute thinking it's planned because we're coming to meet the king. We're devoting ourselves to the king. All our offering is an act of worship. You could say it's a tangible, um, it's a tangible sign of our reverence, of our bowing down before the Lord, of our thankfulness for our relationship that the Lord has established with Him. He is the great king. God has been so, how many of us can say that God has not been hospitable towards us? Has he been hospitable towards us? In every way. Has he been, has he been in any way stingy towards us? Not in any way. He's been very hospitable and generous. And that money we offer to the Lord has is is never lost money. <laughs> never think of it that way. That's not how scripture looks at it. It's an eternal investment. It's an investment in God's kingdom. By the way, that same word, storing up, if you look at Matthew 6, 19 and 20, it's the exact same word, storing up. And there Jesus uses that word. He makes that same appeal. He says, don't lay up, or the actual word there is, don't store up. Don't store up. For yourselves treasures on earth, but store up or lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break up and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The point is not—I mean, you can be rich, and there's no problem with that. Of course not. You could be wealthy, no problem with that. You could be poor, there's no problem with that. But the point is, where's the heart? Where are we laying up our treasures? Right? That's really the the point there. Um, The same word is also used in 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. The word for storing up. You read that? In 1 Timothy 16, there God talks to the rich. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way they will lay up or store up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Um, it's just amazing. I was just reading through um, First Chronicles uh, 18. If you look at that for a minute, First Chronicles 18. That was very interesting. You know, we share in his kingdom, expect his kingdom to multiply. We're not necessarily talking... That's really talking certainly we ourselves may personally multiply, but his kingdom, the, 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 um, you'll see the manifestation of the riches continue in his kingdom. You, look what David did, right? He captured, he, he, there was many conquests, and his aim was to glorify the king and his kingdom. And if you look at verse 8 of 1 Chronicles 18, And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadadezer and brought them to Jerusalem. Also from Tibbath and from Chun, cities of Hadadezer, David brought a large amount of bronze with which Solomon made the bronze sea, the pillars, and the articles of the bronze. We should never underestimate when we have the kingdom of God first in our thinking. When we're there to ascribe worth to him, what he will take from the world in order to, to build and to establish his kingdom Schools, Christian schools, Christian churches, right? The vision of the kingdom. And you see that here in uh, First Chronicles chapter 18. Beautiful when you see what God is able to do and believing that he will use it. It's never a loss. <laughs> That's, it, we, lose, we lose the things that we own, but in terms of the offering, God uses it for the establishment of his kingdom. That's liberty. That's freedom. You know, it's so sad because so many become slaves. Slaves to material things. Nothing wrong with material things. They're a blessing from the Lord. But the liberty, the freedom that Christ brings is simply unspeakable. The gospel frees us from the slavery to material things. And When the heart is no longer clutched, the Lord by His Spirit opens it up to share and to do good. Why is it that we can do that? Because of the Holy Spirit's work in us and I begin to see that I have everything in Christ. I have everything in Him. And that's why the Bible says in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 9-7, So let each one of you as he purposes in his heart Not grudgingly or necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And watch him work with it. Watch him bless his kingdom with it. That's what really matters. He loves a cheerful giver. And ultimately our response is, what shall I render to the Lord? We sang that earlier. What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? And we respond, Lord, all is yours. Amen.